Hey, good evening, everybody. Uh, so in the midst of this strange time of coronavirus, uh, we are going to continue to do many of the things we have been doing, at least in terms of uh, out in front of people type presentations. Um, I'm going to do my tough question series this way until further notice, until we can come back together again. First off, let me just say, I really miss seeing you. Um, it's hard for us not to meet together, hard for me, but I'm glad, thank God for technology and the ability to still do things like this. A couple of announcements. Remember, our worship will be streaming online at least until Easter Sunday. We're hoping we can have Easter Sunday in our sanctuary, but as it now stands, we're waiting um, for clearance from the, from the county. Uh, but our streaming service will be available on YouTube, on our church website, on Facebook. We'll be live streaming at 10 a.m. on Sundays. And um, you don't have to watch at 10. You can watch uh, at any time after that. You can, it, it'll be archived for you to watch. Please share that with other people. Make sure other people get to see our, our sermons and our, our music. Uh, but be aware of that. Be, be ready for that. Second announcement, always, always let us know how you're doing. Uh, the ministers and I are, are periodically are systematically calling all of the members of the church. You should be getting a, a phone call from one of us over the next two weeks. Uh, your life group leaders are going to be checking in on you. Deacons are, are checking up on our widows. Uh, but you make sure, be proactive and let us know uh, if you've had to go to the hospital, if you're feeling sick, if you need anything at all, you need someone to run to the grocery store for you. Uh, you need some kind of resource that you've run out of and you can't find any at the grocery store. Uh, if there's anything you need at all, you've lost your job, you need help paying bills, contact us. And third, check up on your neighbors. This is something we're going to be saying to you over and over again. This is an opportunity for the church. This is an opportunity for all Christians. Be the hands and feet of Christ. So contact people you know, people in your life group, neighbors, uh, coworkers, people who you are, you have some contact with in regular life, but now you've been kind of cut off from them. Check up on them day to day on a day to day basis. Check up on at least one person a day and just see how they're doing. Uh, this is our opportunity again to, to be the kinds of people we should be all the time, which is focused on our neighbors, focused on loving people in Jesus name. So tough questions. Today, we're going to talk about the question, does prayer do any good? And it's ironic. Well, not ironic. It, it's amazing that this comes up now. Uh, some of you know that I, I planned this series back in August and scheduled it out all the way through May. And, and so I didn't know, obviously, no one but God himself knew in last August that in March of 2020, we would be dealing with coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, but it's amazing that I get to talk about this at this hour when I imagine that a lot of people, including some people who aren't particularly religious, are praying more fervently and more faithfully than they ever have before. Praying things like, Lord, heal my child, heal my parent, heal my friend, heal me. Uh, Lord, make this virus go away. Bring about a cure for this. Bring about a vaccine for this. I hope you are praying those kinds of prayers. But then there are also the kinds of prayers that aren't as life and death, but are also very, very important. Like, Lord, please don't let me lose my job. Lord, please 
uh, help me to pay my bills. Lord, please protect my savings. Lord, please don't let my business go under. Um, and, and so all of these prayers we're offering up to the Father, and yet deep down inside, we have these doubts. Is this really doing any good? Is anything going to come of this? And we have these doubts because we all have the experience of we pray something and it doesn't happen. We pray against something and it happens anyway. We all have these doubts because we've all experienced the phenomenon of unanswered prayer. I can remember when I was growing up, I had a great aunt. Uh, Krista was her given name. We called her Chris. My aunt Chris was just one of the best people I knew. Uh, she was just this big, uh, loving, giving woman. She she led the singing in our church. She was a teacher's aide at my elementary school. She, she and my uncle Buddy, uh, who lived within eyesight of my own house, they used to throw these big uh, covered dish dinners uh, at under this big spreading oak on their at their house. And she was the kind of woman who, if you visited her, you couldn't leave without taking something with you, a pan of brownies or a loaf of, of fresh baked bread, some cookies or, or something else. Everyone loved Chris. And when I was about 10 years old, my aunt Chris uh, came down with lung cancer. Now, she was not a smoker. So this was a mystery to all of us how she could have gotten this illness. Um, and the disease progressed and progressed and progressed. And, it, 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 and then finally, it was very critical she could no longer come to church. She couldn't even speak. And I remember we had a prayer meeting at our church. And I grew up in a little country Baptist church uh, full of very faithful Christians, but we were stoic people. I mean, we did not believe in outward displays of religious devotion. Uh, you came to church, you listened to the sermon, you sang the songs, you went home. There was no shouting amen. There was no raising your hand. There was no crying. There was no, uh, we all, we kind of thought that was just drawing attention to yourself. And so uh, I was not used to seeing people be emotional about their faith. But that night or that day of that prayer meeting, I heard people pray out loud who I had never heard pray out loud before. I saw people weep who I'd never seen weep before. And we prayed as hard, as faithfully, as emotionally as I think we possibly could. And yet my Aunt Chris passed away anyway. And what do you do with that? You know, I'm 10 years old uh, or some, somewhere around that age. And, and, and what, are we, what are we to believe when things like this happen? The temptation is to believe one of three things. Either, number one, God doesn't actually care as much as we think he does. We're, we're shouting these prayers up to the sky and he's like, nah, I don't, I don't really care about your needs. You're not that important. The second possibility is God does care, but he's not as powerful as we think he is. He just can't do all the things we hope he can. And so he's powerless to solve our problems. The third possibility, and this is where a lot of us go is, well, I guess I'm not doing it right. Maybe I needed to have prayed that prayer differently, or maybe my own obedience, my own faithfulness is not enough to uh, merit God's, God's answer to my prayers. Either way, we wonder if prayer does any good. Does it really matter if we pray? Just yesterday, I'm scrolling through headlines related to the coronavirus, and, and I saw a headline. I didn't click on it, but the headline uh, was, prayer won't stop the coronavirus. Man, you're right there. You, you see it. So 
what are we to do with this? Does prayer do any good? That's our question for today. I want to I want to explore this. There's a lot of ways I could go, but I want to explore this through the Apostle Paul, because Paul was someone who understood what it was to have unanswered prayer. And, and how did he respond to that? That's what we're going to look at. Second Corinthians 11, 23 through 29. Second Corinthians 11, 23 through 29. You might want to pause this and look that up. Um but in that passage, Paul is listing his resume, as it were. This is, here's what it means for me to follow Jesus. And, and listen to what Paul says. This is his experience. I have worked much harder, been in prison more fre- frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? So what Paul is saying is, I have a tough life. Following Jesus is not easy for me. And that goes against a lot of what current American Christianity seems to preach, which is if you're a faithful Christian, then things are going to go well for you. You're going to be happy and wealthy and, and, and healthy and wise and, and everything is going to go your way. Paul's faith, and we can assume his prayers, we can assume Paul prayed diligently and fervently. They didn't guarantee him a happy and successful and stress-free life. He lived with fear. He lived with anxiety. He lived with stress. He lived with pain. But his biggest test was still to come. So in the very next chapter, 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about the biggest test of his faith. And and that's found in verses 7 through 10 of, of 2 Corinthians 12. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's a very famous passage. But what it says to us is, here's the Apostle Paul, maybe the best Christian who ever lived in terms of his obedience to God and his devotion, his impact that he made for the kingdom. And yet his prayer was not answered. At least his prayer was not answered the way he wanted it to be. So the first question, and I just want to get this out of the way because this is what people immediately run to is, well, what was Paul's quote unquote thorn in the flesh? What was this thing he was praying for God to take away from him? There are tons of theories. There's been a lot of ink uh, spilled on this subject, a lot of books written, a lot of sermons preached. I'm not able to solve this question for you. I want to give you my three favorite theories, the three ones I think are the most likely. Uh, You can do with them what you will. Number one. There's a theory that Paul was losing his eyesight, and I think there's a lot in Scripture to, com- to, uh, to recommend this theory. Paul 
dictate had all of his letters. He didn't write them himself. He dictated them to someone else, which was not an uncommon practice in the ancient world. But often it was because the person dictating was not good with Greek. Uh, you know, for instance, the the apostles themselves, none of them probably spoke Greek fluently or wrote it fluently. And that's why they dictated their words to others. Paul, on the other hand, was an educated man. So he didn't he probably didn't need to use a, a secretary, but he did. In one of his letters at the end of it, you, you see him say, uh, see with what, what large letters I write as I take my pen in my own hand. And so Paul's signing the last few words of his letter and, and he's having to write with large letters. Why? Maybe because he was losing his eyesight. In his letter to the Galatians, he said, the Galatian Christians, you, you guys love me so much. If you could have, you would have torn out your own eyes for me. So there's a lot to uh, recommend the idea that Paul was losing his eyesight. Certainly that would be something he would have prayed to God. Please, Lord, don't let me lose my ability to see. Second theory, Paul was a single man. We know this. He talks about it. Uh, and so the, the theory is that Paul's thorn was he wished that he could have a wife. And that makes a lot of sense. Many of you are single or you if you aren't now, you've spent some time in singleness and it can be a difficult road to travel through life without a life partner, a husband or a wife. And Paul, we know that Paul, by the time he's writing his letters, He's content in his singleness. He calls it a gift in 1 Corinthians 7. He wishes everybody could be like him. But maybe there was a time when he didn't feel that way. Maybe there was a time when he said, Lord, it's, it's hard to live this way. There's even speculation. And by the way, this is pure speculation. Do not take this to the bank. But speculation that maybe Paul was married. He, he had been a Pharisee before he became a believer in Jesus. And Pharisees were married men. Um, maybe Paul had a, husband, had a wife, that is, and children. And then once he came to know Christ, his family abandoned him. Again, that's pure speculation. But if that's the case, we can imagine that would be something that he would really make the subject of prayer. The third theory is that the, the thorn was a person or a group of people who attacked Paul and persecuted him. Uh, we know that Paul was under attack from the time he became a believer until the time he died. Uh, he was under attack from unbelievers, but also from believers who criticized him, people who were jealous of him, people who accused him of, of uh, who, who basically projected bad motives onto him. Um, and, and maybe that was Paul's thorn. Maybe he was saying to God, Lord, take this away. Lord, Please give me some peace. And I'm just tired of being constantly under criticism and attack. We can understand why that might be the case. We don't know if any of those three theories are right. And frankly, it doesn't matter. What matters is that Paul prayed for God to take his thorn away, this messenger of Satan, this thing that was tormenting him. And God said no. So what did Paul do with that? And what does that tell us about how we should respond when we pray and it doesn't get answered? We're, we'll deal with that first, and then we're going to deal with well, why then should we pray? So, number one, we need to understand why God sometimes doesn't answer our prayers the way we want him to. I mean, the logic says if God is good and God loves us and God is all-powerful, then shouldn't we get everything we ask for? Well, actually, no. There are several reasons why God might say no to what we ask for. Number one, because what we ask for might be harmful to us. 
Uh, anybody who's ever raised a child knows this situation. Your child is begging and pleading for something that you as a parent know would not be in that child's best interests. In fact, uh, if you're a good parent, you absolutely do not give your child everything they ask for. That's the sign of bad parenting. And it's hard for us to see ourselves like little children, but that's what we are in relationship to God and his glory and his uh, in his wisdom. We are like little kids and he knows what's right. Uh, just for an example, let's say that there's a job that you've heard about uh, that you want. It, it Better pay, better benefits seems to be more what you want to do with your life, more prestigious. You're praying to God, Lord, please, please let me get this job. And you don't get it. Well, why, in the, why on earth wouldn't God give you something that you desperately want, something that would make your life better? Well, maybe God knows it wouldn't actually make your life better. Maybe God knows that that's a toxic work environment, or maybe God knows that that company is going to go under in six months, or maybe God knows that if you went there, yeah, you'd be successful, but you'd also become a workaholic and you'd destroy your family and you'd destroy your soul. So God, God sometimes says no, because he knows what's right for us. And he knows that what we're asking for would actually be harmful. Second possibility. I know this is hard for us, but the world doesn't revolve around you. Sometimes what you pray for, what I pray for, God could absolutely grant it, but it would get in the way of his plans, his larger plans for redemption in the world, for bringing peace to chaos, to use the language we've been using at First Baptist. Um, for instance, a little boy is praying, Lord, please, please let, it, let, let there not be rain tonight. I want our baseball team to get to play. He prays and prays. And a downpour comes anyway. And the boy thinks, well, God doesn't care about me because he rained out my baseball game. What he doesn't know is that across that community, there are farmers praying for rain because they're in the midst of a drought. And so the little boy's prayer gets in the way of what God's trying to do in, in bringing peace to chaos for, for other people. See, that's, that's an easy example for us to identify with. I mean, we, we can all understand that, but sometimes it's more complicated. Sometimes there are things going on that, that we aren't aware of, and it's hard for us to understand. I, I think about my great aunt, Chris, and, and all of us in that little church, just praying our hearts out, Lord, please heal her of this cancer. But you know what? Five minutes after Chris quit breathing in this world, and took our first breath of heavenly air and stepped in the presence of Jesus. Five minutes after that, I, I guarantee you, if you would have asked her, hey, Chris, do you wish that God would have answered our prayers in the affirmative? She would have said, no, I'm right where I need to be. This is a great place and, and I'm happy here. So God knows what's best. Sometimes our prayer, it, what seems to be best for us, but it's not best for others. And so God doesn't answer it. You know, Tim Keller, by the way, I love this quote. Tim Keller says, God answers every prayer we pray the way we would if we knew what he knows. Let me say that again. God answers every prayer we pray the way we would if we knew what he knows. That's always important for us to keep in mind. God knows more than we do. Third reason why prayers sometimes don't get answered in the affirmative, human will plays a part. Human free will 
plays a part. God is not going to force people to obey him. So for instance, if I'm praying for a teenager I know whose life is gone off the rails and I'm praying that they will straighten themselves out and they'll come back and obey their parents and, and get back into school and do what's right. God wants that too. Uh, another example, if there's a couple I know who's struggling in their marriage and I'm praying, Lord, please, please don't let them break up. Please hold them together. Make let them not divorce, but but work on their marriage and, and come back and love each other again. I know God wants that too. When you pray those kinds of prayers, you're praying in line with God's perfect will. But God's no, not going to force those people to obey him. That teenager may decide to continue on his road of rebellion. That couple may decide it's not worth working on our marriage. We're going to separate. And, and it breaks God's heart too. So it's not like God has failed. It's that God is not going to go against who he is, and he's not going to force obedience on people who are unwilling. Sometimes that's the reason for unanswered prayer. And then the third example is he has something better in store for you. Sometimes God says no to a short-term good because it's going to get in the way of a long-term blessing for you. Um, yeah, and we know what that's like as, as little kids. We all had that moment where we said, if my mom and dad really loved me, they would buy me this or they would give me this or they would let me go here. And our parents knew better. Our parents knew. Yeah, I could I could spend five dollars on that toy. I could spend fifty dollars on that gaming system. I could let you go to this place. But. I'm actually saving money for your education or I'm saving money to set you up in life. I've got better things in mind for you. See, when we're, when we're children, we have a very superficial idea of what love is. Love to us is giving us what we want. And we don't understand that love is more than that. When it comes to Jesus, love is not determined by whether or not he answers this particular prayer that I'm praying right now. Love was determined on Calvary. His love for me was, was determined and, and was guaranteed and was, well, that was the ultimate moment when love was needed. When my life was on the line, when my soul was condemned, he stepped in my place, took my place and died for me, died for you, redeemed us. And so that's when we know, that's how we know that his love is true, that his love is real. Sometimes God has something better in store for us than what we're praying for. And that was the case for Paul. Paul was praying, Father, take away this thorn. And God said, no, I've got something better in store for you. See, and, and this had to be hard for Paul to hear, but you're better with the thorn than without. With that thorn, I can turn you into more the person you need to be. And, and since Paul's writing has influenced all of us and helped us understand grace. Since Paul's church planting uh, got the gospel into Europe and, and therefore into the wider world, aren't we glad that Paul became the person he became? Isn't that a blessing to all of us? And so God had something better in mind. So what do we do when our prayer isn't answered? the way we hoped it would be. We'll look at Paul again for an example. First of all, notice that he sought God's purpose. We don't know if there was a period of depression, discouragement, where he was just angry at God. And if so, the good news is, this is a side note, the good news is if 
you get angry at God for your prayer not coming true the way you hoped it would, there's a long list of examples in Scripture of God's people doing that, and God takes it. I mean, there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations where the prophet Jeremiah cries out to God and says, why have you done this to us? I mean, even Jesus, as he's dying on the cross, quotes one of the Psalms of lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. So it's not as though I'm saying when you pray and you don't get what you want, you should just put on a happy face. It is good and it is right to to be like Job, to be like David, to be like Jeremiah, to weep before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand. I prayed for this and it didn't happen. But ultimately, what Paul does is he seeks God's purpose. He does two things. Number one, he seeks God's purpose in his suffering. He says to himself, "Okay, this is a God who came down to earth and died in my place. He loves me that much. Therefore, there's no way he's going to let me suffer for no purpose. So, Lord, I'm going to find your purpose in this. Please show me what you're trying to do. And and Paul ultimately came to understand Paul, that, that God was using this pain to humble him, to make him into the person he should have been all along. I, I think back to a guy named Dave Dravecki. Some of you remember, if you were a baseball fan, back in the 80s, Dave Dravecki was one of the best pitchers in baseball, pitched for the San Francisco Giants. And then he came down with cancer, cancer in his arm, bone cancer in his arm of all places, uh, his right arm, his pitching arm. And he went through, he was out of baseball for a year. He went through treatments and then he came back cancer free, or at least that's what he thought. And I remember his first uh, day back on the mound, he, he had this fantastic game. He won his first start. It was this incredible story. And then shortly thereafter, it may have been his second start. I can't remember. As he was pitching, literally he's throwing a fastball and his arm snapped on the mound because the, the, the cancer had gotten back into his bone and, and he didn't know it until that very moment when the centrifugal force of throwing a, a baseball just snapped his arm bone. He collapsed on the mound. That's when we knew the cancer had returned. Ultimately, they had to take off his arm at the shoulder. So this, this strong man, this guy in the prime of his life, loses his source of greatest strength. But Dave Dravecki and his wife were both strong Christians. And they began to tell the story of God's faithfulness. And they wrote two best-selling books together, and they appeared on basically every national talk show you can name, and they glorified God. And I guarantee you, if God had given David Dravecki the choice ahead of time, would you rather have cancer or not? He would have chosen not. Would you rather have a long, successful, lucrative career as a baseball pitcher, or would you rather have it cut short? Well, sure, I'd rather have the wealth and the fame and the success. But now, looking back on it, who knows how many millions of people came to know Christ or at least heard the gospel and had the opportunity to hear about Jesus because of Dave Dravecki's cancer. So when we experience pain, yes, it is good and it is right to cry out to God and and to express to him our disappointment and our, our grief. But at the same time, we say, Lord, I trust you. Please show me what you're trying to teach me through this. Don't let me miss what you're trying to accomplish through this. So that's one thing Paul does. He saw God's purpose, but secondly, he rejoiced. And this is even harder for us. Paul ends up saying, I delight in weakness. I delight in an insult. I delight in pain because when I am weak, then I am strong. And I'm not saying any of this is easy. I'm not saying I'm good at this, but if we're able to, in the midst of our pain, say, 
I know that at the end of this, God's going to accomplish something good. I know that at the end of this, I'm going to look back and be thankful I went through it because of what God did. That's, that's how we grow in faith. We trust in him. We know, we know that a God who would die for our sins, his love is already established. He doesn't need to prove anything to us. A God who loves us that much and who is that powerful. Well, if something bad is allowed to happen to me or to you, we know he's going to do something great because of it. He didn't cause the pain, but if he allowed it and he didn't intervene, he must have something really great in mind. And so we can rejoice in advance, even while we're weeping, even while we're in, in a time of struggle, we can say, yes, but I know I'm going to look back and see God's victory in this somehow, not necessarily through my healing, but through him taking what the enemy meant for evil and using it for good. So back to the question, does prayer do any good? If sometimes prayer doesn't get answered, does prayer do any good? I think about the movie Castaway. So Tom Hanks, Federal Express employee, he's on a, a small plane flight. The plane crashes in the Pacific. He washes up on a desert island. He's the only survivor. All these other FedEx boxes come washing up with him. And so he's all by himself. He starts to open the boxes, see if there's something that can help him survive. Well, there's not. There's a set of roller skates. There's a volleyball. There's a prom dress. There's videotapes. There's divorce papers. Um, and there's one last box that he chooses not to open. And you get the sense he's saving that box. If I ever get off this island, I'm going to deliver that box. This is giving me a sense of purpose, a sense of mission. And spoiler alert, years later, he does get off the island he takes the box, delivers it to the address on the label. Of course, no one's home. And he writes on the box, this box saved my life. And he leaves and he drives away. It's a great movie. But uh, a lot of people were frustrated by that. And they, they wondered what was in that last box because you never find out in the movie. So in an interview show, not long after the movie came out, Robert Zemeckis, the director of Castaway, was asked the question, what was in the box? He said, oh, it was a waterproof satellite phone. So if he would have opened the box, he would have been able to call for help. Now, I think Zemeckis was joking. At least I hope he was. Um, but the point is, he never would have known what was in the box unless he opened it. And sometimes the box you open is exactly what you need. That's not a perfect analogy, but this is the way I think prayer works. I don't think we change God's mind when we pray. I don't think God's up there in heaven hearing us say, hey, Lord, there's this coronavirus. Would you stop it? And him saying, oh, well, I had no idea. I guess I need to get on this. That's not the way prayer works. I think God always knows the right thing to do. But I also believe, and this is borne out in scripture, we see it over and over and over again, God choosing to respond to the prayers of his people by intervening in natural order of things. So that's how miracles happen. That's how, that's how people get liberated. That's how God shows himself to be faithful. I believe God wants us to come to him. That's why prayer is important. I believe there are things, there are boxes that we will never know what's inside them. Good things that he has stored up for us that we'll never know belong to us unless we come to him in prayer. And he does things that way because his whole mission is that we would relate to him, that we would rely upon him. Because as we spend time in his presence, 
we're becoming the people we were created to be. We're experiencing his love and we're growing. And so we come to him and we get blessings and we come to him and we see miracles and we come to him and we see him do amazing things in and through our lives. The more we pray, the more we see those things happen. Don't always get what we want, but the more we pray, the more we see God work in the world around us and in our own lives. But I think the best thing about prayer isn't the miracles that take place. The best thing about prayer is what happens inside of us when we come to him. Because as we spend time with him, we start to look like him. And the more we start to look like him, that's when we start to have those fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So pray, know that every prayer is answered the way you and I would answer it if we knew what God knew. Know that every time you pray, you're becoming a little bit more like him. Thank you for listening. I hope this has been a blessing to you. If you have questions, email me, call me, text me, and I will check with you next time. See you Sunday, if not before. God bless you. Have a great week.